What's up, guys? Welcome to the Engage JSU podcast. We are an on-campus ministry here at Jacksonville State University. We want to see God's kingdom come here at JSU as it is in heaven. Um, it was the daughter of some of their friends, and so my dad wanted to do it. So he said to them, he said, okay, I will do this wedding if you guys are okay with me missing the rehearsal and then just showing up at the wedding. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. So the day before, my dad makes the six-hour drive from Louisville down to Atlanta, gets there late that night, goes to bed, and then wakes up excited because he's going to get this couple hitched. And so that afternoon, him along with my mom, they get in the car, and they drive to this wedding venue. And when they get there, they expect this place to be packed out. But when they pull into the parking lot, they notice that barely anybody's there. So they're a bit confused, right? And they decide to go ahead and park anyways. And so they park the car, and when they get out, they actually see this couple who they know whose daughter is in the wedding. So like, okay, perfect. Let's try to ask them to try to figure out what's going on. And so they ask, like, hey, where is everybody? And when they do, the couple looks back at them and says, they're gone. The ceremony's over. And see, that was the moment that my dad realized just how much he messed up because he got the time of this wedding completely wrong. See, my mom had spent a lot of time talking to that guy I played baseball with whose sister was also getting married around the same time, so much so that she confused the times of the two weddings. And since my mom's the one that kind of keeps the schedule for my parents, she didn't bothered to check the time in her head with the time that was on the invitation until it was too late. And of course, my parents felt horrible about this, but not too horrible because they still went to the reception. <laughs> Can you, those are the people that raised me. Um, and actually, surprisingly, the couple was very, very understanding. Um, because that guy or a guy was there the day before when they had the rehearsal, he was able to just kind of step in and kind of fill in. And so because of that, a disaster was avoided. And so they were, they were very kind to my dad. But let's be real. You know there is no way that that family, and especially that bride, is ever going to forget that, right? I mean, because on the most important day of her life, something terrible went wrong. I mean, the person who's supposed to do the wedding didn't even show up. And because of that, it had the potential to ruin everything on this huge and giant and big day in her life. So no way she's ever going to forget that. And see, in the passage that we're looking at tonight, we're going to see another wedding where something also goes terribly wrong. Something that also has the potential to ruin everything. And that's where we're going to be in tonight in John chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open those up or turn those on to John chapter 2. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story that many, if not all of you in this room, have heard about and read about and heard teach, taught on so many different times. But my goal today is we, when we look at this story to look at it from a little bit of a different perspective. Hopefully from an angle that you've never thought about before. And through that, to really see how much of a miracle worker our God really is. And so John chapter 2, that's where we're going to be. If you have your Bibles, feel free to have them on or, or, or opened up. If not, we'll have the verses on the screen for you to follow along with us there. So let's begin reading John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. 
It says, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples, right? So we know some of these people who are at the wedding. We have Jesus, we have his mom, Mary, and we also have some of his disciples. Now, it's key to know that weddings back then were a lot different than weddings are today. Instead of lasting just a few hours, they could actually last as long as a week. And instead of the bride's parents paying for the wedding, that was actually the groom's responsibility. So, fellas, be thankful that you did not live during this time. Because I know some of you, and your wedding would be pretty basic if, if you had to pay for it. Let's be real. Let's be honest. So it was the groom's job to do that. And so as Jesus and his disciples are hanging out, they're enjoying this week-long celebration with all these different people, Mary all of a sudden runs up to Jesus in a bit of a panic because a problem has showed up. And we see what that is in verse 3. It says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Right now we see this and we read this, but if we're honest, there's a bit of a disconnect for us here from this verse. Because we really don't feel any type of weight reading this and any type of weight that would have been in this situation. Because today, if there was wine at a wedding and it ran out, that wouldn't really be a big deal at all, right? In fact, a lot of weddings we go to don't even offer wine. And so we see this, and we don't really understand what's happening here. But what we have to realize is that in this culture, this would have been a really big deal. And this definitely would have been a reason for someone like Mary to freak out. So in order to kind of help bridge the culture gap between now and then, I want you to imagine that you're at a wedding this weekend, a friend's wedding. And you're sitting there at the reception, you're waiting to eat. Somebody walks up to your table and tells you some really bad news. They tell you that the father of the bride booked the caterer for the wrong day. See, in his excitement, he confused when the couple got engaged about a year ago with when their wedding date actually was, which means the food is going to arrive at this venue in about two weeks. And so as this person is telling you this, you you look around and you see the father of the bride in the corner of the room, and the guy is physically panicking, right? He is physically freaking out because he realizes that there were 300 people sitting in this room who were promised a four-course meal on their invitation, who aren't getting it. Right? He made dinner plans around this entire event, and now, because he messed up, they have absolutely nothing to eat. Guys, that's the significance of the situation that Jesus is in right now. But see, in this story, it's not the father of the bride who blew it. It's not the father of the bride who's to blame. Instead, it's the groom, right? Because he is the one who's responsible for paying for everything. He's the one who was supposed to have enough wine. Now, we don't see here how or why this happens, right? John doesn't tell us that. But maybe this groom had a really deep love for his, his wife, and he didn't have the heart to tell her that he couldn't afford the type of wedding that she wanted. Or maybe he's just a really poor planner and he just didn't think about how many people were actually going to be there and he didn't do a good job of preparing for that. Right? We we don't know. We don't know why this happens, but this is what we do know. In this situation, this groom has really messed up. 
And in this moment, no doubt, he is starting to feel the weight of his mistake. Because he is letting down the person that he just vowed and he just promised to spend the rest of his life with. And he's letting her down so much that her parents, her family could actually sue him because of what's happening in the story. They could sue him because of the shame and the disgrace that he is bringing upon her by running out of wine at the celebration. That's how big of a deal this is. That's the weight of this situation. And so Mary has come to Jesus because she wants him to help. She wants him to do something because this groom has failed to do what all grooms are supposed to do. To provide for his bride. And because this guy made a mistake, he is letting down the person that he's about to spend the rest of his life with. And see, what's happening in the background of the story so often happens in the forefront of our lives, doesn't it? Because like this guy, we all know what it's like to mess up. And we all know what it's like to let somebody down because we messed up. Right? We know what it's like to let down our friend who asked us to go weeks ago to that midnight showing of that movie that they could not wait to go to get out. But when the time came around, we were a little bit tired. We didn't really feel like it, and so we backed out. Like only to find out later that because of what we did, our friend had to go to that movie completely alone. Or maybe when that person asked that we're dating, asked us to go on this big date night with them, and they surprised us by taking us to our favorite restaurant that we didn't even know that they knew about, but they did some research, they asked our family, so they go out of their way to take us to this amazing restaurant that we haven't been to in such a long time, but the entire time that we're there, we're really just not feeling it. Because we have a test the next morning, and our mind is kind of wrapped up in that, and so because we're kind of in that land, and we're not focused on the night, we don't even try to make this person feel appreciated because of everything that they've done for us. Or maybe it was when our parents allowed us to go with our friends to that concert in Birmingham. And even though they trusted us, we broke that trust. We made some unwise decisions that night. And now because of that, they're not mad at us, they're just really disappointed. We get this, right? We all understand what this is like to let somebody down because we did something. Because we did something that we can't take back. And see, to me, that is what makes letting somebody down so disheartening. Is that no matter what we do, we can't take it back. I mean, we can't do it. Because we don't realize we've let somebody down until after it's too long and it's been too long for us to be able to change it. I mean, my dad didn't realize he let that couple down until after the ceremony was over. Right? We don't realize that we let our boyfriend and our girlfriend down until after the date night is over and they're choosing not to talk to us. Right? In those situations, we don't realize we've let somebody down until it's too late for us to change anything. Because you only realize you let somebody down when it's too late. I mean, think about that. You only realize that you let somebody down after it's too late for you to do anything about it. After the damage has already been done, after you can't change what you've done. And see, this is big. This is so big for us. 
Because if you look at your life and you look at the relationships that you have that are either strained or damaged or broken, it's because somebody let somebody else down. It's because somebody did something that the other person didn't expect them to do. And now, their relationship is hurt. And when that person is us, so often we just wish that we could do something to take that back. right? We wish that we could just go back in time and make a different decision and do things differently. Right? We wish we could make the decision to show up to the movies. Or we made the decision to let that person know how much we appreciate them. Or we wish that we could make the decision to be wise with what we did that night. But the problem is, we can't. And we can't because it's too late. We have already hurt them. They already feel betrayed. And we've already made a mess. We've already let that person down. And now there's nothing that we can do to take that back. And how we feel in those moments is exactly how the groom feels in our story tonight. Because as he's sitting here at his wedding celebration, he is living in this too late moment. Right In this moment where he has done something, but it's too late for him to change it. It's too late for him to take it back. It's too late for him to do something differently. And see, Mary gets this. Mary understands this. That's why she's come to Jesus. She understands that Jesus is special, right? She understands that he's not like everybody else. And so she comes to him because she wants him to do something to help this groom out. And then in verse 4, Jesus responds to his mom about what he wants to do. And it says, Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So she comes to Jesus, and let's be honest, Jesus doesn't really like this. right? He's a little bit annoyed that his mom is trying to take advantage of him. But notice he still chooses to do something anyways. And so Mary tells the servants, hey, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And see, even though we know what's going to happen next, even though we know this story, we know what's about to take place, I don't think Mary did. I think she expected Jesus to help this guy, but I don't think she expected him to do a miracle. Because if you look down at verse 11, we have every reason to believe that this is the very first miracle that Jesus ever does. And so I don't think she's expecting something miraculous. I think, honestly, she's just expecting Jesus to help out this groom who finds himself in this too late moment and to just try to make it a little bit better. Because I'm sure at this point, this guy will get any help that he can get, right? I mean, I'm sure he is watching and keeping up with everything that is happening because he is the one who's responsible for this disaster. And he is probably just praying and hoping that Jesus, this guy that this girl wants to have help out, will do something in this situation. And so as Jesus steps out and he decides to do something, watch what he does in verse 6. It says, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. 
Now, if you're the groom and you're watching this happen, right, you're seeing Jesus fill all of these religious jars full of water, you're probably not very encouraged, right? Because your problem isn't that you don't have enough water, right? Your problem is that you're desperately in need of more wine. So this guy's probably really confused about what's happening here. And then to make this nervous dude just a little bit more stressed out, watch what Jesus does next. It says, And he said to them, Now draw some of it out and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Now this is big. This is really big what's happening here. Because the master of the feast is a very important person. He's somebody in this day whose job was to make sure that a wedding ran smoothly. That was his job, to make sure that the wedding went the way that it was supposed to. So obviously somebody that this groom really wants to impress. Obviously somebody that this groom doesn't want to know that he ran out of wine. And Jesus is asking his servants to go to this guy with this cup and to give it to him. I mean, if you're this groom, imagine how anxious you would be watching them give this guy this cup that you know has water in it. And then how you'd feel if he takes this cup and he starts to drink it. And in that moment where the groom is probably keeping from freaking out inside, something happens that he would have never saw coming. Because in the final two verses of our passage, it says, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk the freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. I mean, this is incredible, right? Because when this groom was asked to come over, he was expected to be ridiculed. He was expected to be shamed because he didn't do what all grooms always do. But in this moment, instead of being ridiculed, instead of being shamed, he gets praised. He gets applauded because he does what grooms never do. He saved the best wine to the end. And so even though this guy expected this wedding celebration to end in a complete disaster, it ends completely differently. Because Jesus stepped in. Because Jesus showed up in this situation, all the embarrassment, all the shame, and all the failure that this guy had brought upon himself instantly went away. It was gone. And in a single moment, Jesus undid what this groom had done. He changed what was unchangeable. And even though this groom had lit down his bride... A disaster was avoided because Jesus redeemed his mess. Jesus performed a miracle. And when you look throughout the pages of Scripture, so often you see that is what a miracle is. It's God redeeming a mess. 
is God doing something to restore a situation to the way that it's supposed to be? And you see that everywhere, right? I mean, you see that God redeemed a mess, that a disease brought a blind man by giving the guy sight. You see that God redeems a mess that a demon brought into the life of a child by casting it out. And you even see God redeeming a mess that sin brought into this world by resurrecting his son from the grave. You see, one thing that's crazy about miracles, one thing that so many of them have in common is that they happen in too late moments, right? They happen when the wine was already out, right? They happen when the guy was already born blind, and they happen after Jesus was in the grave for three days. In all those moments when it seemed like hope was gone, in all those moments when it seemed like it was over, God showed up and did something miraculous, God showed up and redeemed a mess. God changed what was unchangeable. God became a, God was a miracle worker in the midst of that. And see, guys, that's the hope that this passage brings to all of us tonight. Because if you showed up here tonight as somebody who's messed up, somebody who has really messed up, And because of what you've done, you have let somebody down who means so much to you. Maybe that's a parent. Maybe that's somebody that you used to date. Maybe that's a sibling that you're no longer close with. Or maybe that's even a friend who wants nothing to do with you now. Or maybe that's even yourself. And if that's where you are tonight, if that's where you find yourself in this room, please know that there is still hope. Because just like in this story, Jesus can redeem your mess. Jesus can change what seems unchangeable. He can do something in your life. He can do a miracle. Right? Even if you find yourself in this too late moment and you think that it's all over, right? Even if you feel like that person is never going to look at you the same again because of what you've done. And even if, like Mary, you've never seen Jesus do a miracle before, he can still show up and do something. He can still redeem your mess. It is not too late. Because what this story shows us is that miracles live in too late moments. So if you find yourself here tonight, if you find yourself in this moment where you feel like there is no more hope and everything is gone and your world is crashing around you and you made a mistake that you're going to regret for the rest of your life, what I'm telling you is that's exactly where you want to be if you want to see a miracle. Because miracles live in those moments. That's when God does his best work. Is when we feel like there is no hope and we know there is nothing that we can do. And since miracles live in too late moments, that's what we're going to be in this series. 
what we're going to do in this series is we're going to talk about the too late moments of our lives. And we're going to talk about these different moments where it seems like hope is gone. Ones that are even different than what we talked about tonight. And then we're going to walk through the different miracles that Jesus has done. We're going to walk through the different things that he has done. And then we're going to see what they can teach us as we live in these times. What they can teach us as we live in these moments where we need God to do something big. Where we need God to show up. Where we need God to redeem our mess. When we need God to be a miracle worker. And we're going to really see what our God can do in our lives. But tonight, if you find yourself like the groom in this story, right? If you find yourself at this place where you have done something that you can't take back, something that you regret, here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you is to ask for a miracle. To ask for a miracle. Because if you're like me, that's probably something that you don't do very often, if ever, in your life. So ask for a miracle. If we really believe that God is a miracle worker, if we really believe that he can change what's unchangeable, if we really believe that he can redeem whatever mess that we've caused in our life, then we need to ask him for a miracle. We need to tap into this amazing resource that we have available because of who God is. So ask for a miracle. Ask God in his goodness and his grace to undo what you've done. Ask God to restore a broken or damaged or strained relationship in your life. Ask God to do something that you never would expect him to do. Ask for a miracle because miracles live in too late moments. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope that we have from this passage tonight. Thank you that you are a God that even when hope seems lost, even when our situation seems so far out of our hands, even when it seems like we have done something that we'll never recover from, and that we're afraid we have to live with the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment for the rest of our lives. Lord, my prayer and my hope is that tonight we would realize that you are a God who can redeem that, that you're a God who can restore that, that you're a God who can show up and do the miraculous. And so my prayer tonight, God, as we sing to you, as, as, as we worship you, that we would ask you to do that in our lives. That we would ask you to show up just like you did in this story, to do something that we could never see coming, even if we wanted to. And God, may we worship you and sing to you and praise you because there is nothing that you can't do. So my prayer, God, is throughout this series that we would start asking for miracles. And my prayer is that tonight, that is where that would start. That God, we would ask you to do something miraculous. That we would see from our life experience that you are a God who is a miracle worker. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, a great God and King. Amen.